Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. You know, there's a ton of ways to invest in real estate and many folks get their start with single family residential homes. But have you thought about jumping into commercial real estate? That encompasses a lot and we're going to talk about it today and show you where the opportunity may lie on the Real Estate Guys radio program. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio show. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. Just off the 17th Annual Investors Summit at Cease, my voice is a little strained. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to bring you some shows recorded with the stellar faculty and co-host financial strategist Russell Gray on assignment this week, but we've got a great topic for you. So many people, when they start down the road of real estate investing, begin with a single family home, maybe a townhouse or condominium. Uh, it's easy to understand. Most people grew up in a home or an apartment. They understand residential real estate. Nothing wrong with that. Still lots of great opportunity. But for many folks, they want to make that jump either from residential property to commercial property, or they want to start off with a different type of property. And so today we're going to talk about the various types of commercial real estate. Now, right off the bat, you should understand that commercial real estate is not all created equally. There's different product types. There's different lease lengths. The tenant landlord law can be different. There's new construction. There's existing properties. There's a lot. But we've got a great guest today who's been through kind of all of it. He started out, like many of us, investing in single family homes. He then took that on in a really big way and helped other people find great single family homes as kind of a turnkey provider, really back before we even used that terminology. And he transitioned into multifamily apartments like a lot of people do. In the last several years, however, he's taken a bit of a shift from multifamily into other commercial assets. So if you've never thought about investing in commercial real estate, today is kind of your primer on that. Commercial basically means someone doesn't live there, although it can be argued that large apartment complexes are commercial in nature. But typically when we talk commercial, we're talking about leasing your property to a business rather than a person. That could be a retail establishment, a strip mall. It could be office space or mixed use. It could be a restaurant or gas station or bowling alley. It could be a manufacturing or R&D facility. And there's pros and cons of every asset class. Now, having just spent time on the Investor Summit, we met lots of folks from all over the world. I think we had 11 countries represented this year and people investing in all kinds of stuff, mobile home parks, assisted living, ground-up development, land banking, agriculture. Enough to make your head spin. So I thought since we had some time with our guest today, and he's a guy that has been through lots of different real estate cycles and lots of different real estate product types, that it might make sense to get our mind around the various types of commercial real estate. 
and don't think you have to have a ton of money to invest either. That's one of the many paradigms we're going to break today. When we come back, you meet an engineer turned real estate investor that I've known nearly 20 years, and he's got a lot to share today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Are you looking to create sustainable wealth through agricultural real estate? Then look no further than Agro Nosotros. They're a sustainable specialty agriculture company with specialty coffee farming operations in Panama and fine flavor organic chocolate operations in Belize. Over the last four years, they've helped ordinary people to diversify outside of traditional real estate and into offshore agricultural real estate. They don't have your typical tenants, termites, and troubles. Their tenants are trees, and they grow and produce two hugely popular and proven products, coffee and chocolate. Through Agro Nosotros, you can own half-acre parcels in your very own specialty coffee or organic cacao farm turnkey managed on your behalf that produce passive cash flow for you and your heirs. And you can feel good about where you put your money to work. Agro Nosotros has socially sustainable programs that provide living wages, improved accommodations, and a steady channel to market to literally hundreds of farmers. And so far, they've placed 61 kids in school. To find out more and see how you can get involved, email agro at realestateguysradio.com. That's agro, A-G-R-O, at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, this is Garrett Sutton, Robert Kiyosaki's asset protection attorney and the author of Loopholes of Real Estate and Start Your Own Corporation. As an American or foreign-based investor in U.S. real estate, you know we are a litigious society. You know that you need to protect your real estate, paper, and bullion holdings with the right mix of LLCs and corporations. Our firm, Corporate Direct, not only forms these entities, but importantly, we properly maintain them too. If you fail to follow the corporate formalities, you can lose it all in an instant. Corporate Direct is your source for LLC protection and maintenance in all 50 states. Visit CorporateDirect.com or call 800-600-1760. Mention the Real Estate Guys for a free bonus. That's 800-600-1760 or CorporateDirect.com. We look forward to assisting you at CorporateDirect.com. Hello, I'm Herman Kane, and you are listening to the Dynamic Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show today. We talk about all kinds of real estate today. We're going to talk about making the jump into commercial property. A lot of folks start out in single family, and they say, well, this is great, and it works, but there's a lot of different types of real estate, and our guest today has experience in a lot more than just commercial, which is why I want to have the program. We've known each other nearly 20 years. Uh, he's done a half a billion dollars worth of real estate, thousands and thousands of units in lots of different places. Please welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, Mr. Tom K. Wilson. Hey, Tom. Hey, Robert. It's always nice to be on the program. Well, it's always good. nice to see you. It's good to have you. And we just, uh, of course, got off the Investor Summit at Sea. I think this was your eighth time. It was. Wow. Just keeps getting better and better. Amazing. Crazy stuff. I still don't have my voice fully back, but... Uh, better but, than you know, some years. Better than some years, that's for sure. You know, um, a lot of paradigms get broken on the summit. And uh, Boy, one... That's sure that's, that's the truth. Yeah, you don't, you don't necessarily have to start with a single family home, although that was kind of the area that you started. You know, when we met, you were in real estate and the single family uh, marketplace. But prior to that, you were a high tech executive. You spent a lot of time uh, working in Silicon Valley and meanwhile, uh, piling away some real estate. So talk about when you were fully employed, how you brought real estate into your life. Certainly was not on my early uh, radar when I arrived in what was to become Silicon Valley in 1969. 
I went to pick up the keys from the landlord for my first house, learned he lived next door, had no college education. He's 38 years old. He owned half the street. He was independently wealthy. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, I always uh, liked reflecting on and asking others about crossroads in their life that maybe aren't obvious at the time. There's a big crossroads for me. Holy smoke. You could be independently wealthy by starting to buy real estate. So away we went. We started buying houses until we got to the point where it was a little pain to manage it. It didn't occur to us at the time. This was not an asset class at the time. This was something very eccentric that a few people did. Yeah. And um, it didn't occur to us that you can get help from somebody else. You don't have to do everything yourself. Uh, young engineers like to do everything themselves. <laughs> so no, that was a mistake. And uh, But, you know. We made a good decision. be amazing how many people advised not doing it because it was as eccentric then for someone to buy rental houses, a batch of them, as it might feel to some people today to buy commercial properties. And yeah. You always got to be willing to walk through that door and kind of expand your, your, your mind and uh, opportunities that are out there. You know, and buying a whole bunch of single-family houses in the Bay Area in the late 60s uh, looks pretty smart today, right? But at the time, you know, it was just the, the thing you did. You you rented a house to start because you were new to the area, and then you thought, wow, I could I could buy a home to live in. I could buy another home to, to rent out. And before you know it, it makes sense. And over the course of a career, uh, you finally got the bug and decided this is something I could, I could turn my full-time attention to. But it's interesting that, you know, I had many people back then that thought that was a big, I was taking a big risk because that was really out of the comfort zone of most people. Yeah. Maybe even more so than it is for some people today to consider going out of their current comfort home or maybe rental houses and multifam into a commercial. You know, I find most of the time when I've gone out of my comfort zone and um, done things that were others maybe considered risky, but the logic added up to me. Uh, they've turned out to be good. Well, that's part of having the engineer's mind, right? You're always applying logic to the situation. And I see that today uh, as it relates to your business. You're very prudent. You're very methodical. You have a system to get things done. And so uh, no matter what your predisposition is, your personality style, there's a way to figure it out in real estate. And I think watching you kind of blossom as you've gone from asset class to asset class has been awesome. But let's talk about another paradigm that that folks maybe uh, need to break a little bit. You know, I say live where you want to live and invest where the numbers make sense. Uh, when I met you in the Bay Area, you were living in the Bay Area, but a lot of your investment property was in a completely different state. Most people want to be close, like your example, the landlord living next door. And this idea of I could invest several states away is foreign from some folks. Why did you seek out greener pastures, if you will, uh, back in those days? Well, after my um, very nice uh, high-tech career, that I enjoyed, felt like I made some contributions to the markets and industry that I, that I was in. Uh, one day I woke up and realized that my real estate appreciation-wise was contributing more toward my financial independence while I was sleeping yeah. than my day job was while I was working and my right. stock options were. But uh, I went and looked at the numbers and I realized my return on equity wasn't so good anymore because that, at, at that time, the 30K house that I'd bought when I started was now worth uh, half a million, but it was only making one-third as much rent per value dollar as it had before. Sure. You know, I was focused locally, had uh, didn't really have any concept that markets throughout the country had appreciated at different rates. So uh, I did what, what I think everyone should do. 
When you want to learn about something, you go surround yourself with uh, really smart people who've already done things that you're considering doing, pick their brains. And what I found was that most investors that were getting good returns were investing in other cities. Yeah. So I spent a year uh, studying uh, the different markets, and I found, lo and behold, there were places like Dallas-Fort Worth that were giving three times the rent per invested dollar. So I took that uh, first house that was worth half a million dollars, had a hundred k loan on it, and uh, 1031 that into a 68-unit apartment house down in Dallas-Fort Worth that I just sold for $4.7 million. So, and it spun off a hundred k cash flow during all those years. So you got to uh, just what worked yesterday doesn't necessarily what's best tomorrow. It's easy to stick to something, I think, or want feel like you should stick to something that's worked in the past. It's really, you really have to um, talk to yourself and work hard, I think, to move to something different. But I did, and it uh, and it paid off. For many years in the Bay Area, you were, you were known as kind of the Dallas guy because you had single-family homes there. You had a bunch of them in your own account, uh, some multifamily as well. And then you were helping investors in the Bay Area, highly appreciated market, move some of that equity into a much more landlord-friendly state and a state that had uh, better cash flow uh, in the state of Texas. And- yeah, we were proud to have provided, uh, I think, 650 uh, turnkey rental houses before the term turnkey was really... Uh, uh, coin to. Well, and based on the timing, I remember we did some tours and things there. I mean, anybody that bought back then has done pretty well in Dallas, Texas. So they look uh, they look pretty smart in the rearview mirror. And even more important than cash flow and appreciation was that during the crash, not a single one of my clients and uh, nor I lost a single property. Yeah. It wound up now. I didn't know it was going to be the best, but in my research, I thought, it was going to be pretty resilient to downside. So Dallas dropped 7.7%. Everything kept cash flowing. It worked. Well, this is another one of the paradigms. You know, people look back at the last crash, and we may talk about that because we both went through that. And, uh, you know, we saw values of assets go down, but we didn't see rents go down as much, nor mm-hmm. near as much. And no. so this is a resilient product type real estate, rental real estate for sure. And you're still a multifamily guy and still believe in that part of the the real estate world. Um, Talk about what you see the attractions are in multifamily versus maybe single family today. Well, I think multifamily in general is just good uh, as, and and it is is a part of the commercial class of assets. People don't think about that, but commercial is root is commerce. And it means uh, when you purchase something for the intent of income, as opposed to living in it. Right. So multifam is part of that. And general, all of uh, commercial, including multifam, just has the benefit of uh, economy of scale. And uh, along with that, you tend to have uh, higher level professional management. And I think it's, if you have good management, you can control uh, control your returns better. And I've owned 11 multifams and still have three today, but it's uh, the problem is that when the expansions happen, it doesn't make sense because of land values usually to build class B and C properties. So right. everybody who's building developers build class A. Yep. And what happened post-crash was that uh, it just got overbuilt in most primary and secondary cities in the United States. Doesn't mean the product wasn't good, but no longer was it cash flowing as much. So it got a little overheated. So what I learned was that even though I like multifam, if I can find a return, which is, uh, you know, as good as anything else, I'd like to keep some of those in my portfolio. But I found that non-multifam commercial, uh, starting about five years ago, 
We're giving about 2% higher returns, cash flow, and a few percent higher IRRs and average annuals than multifam. So I, um, I always believe in moving your money from assets that have uh, peaked over into assets that are still in expansion and change your model as time goes along. I like the, always like the story of Sizzler back when uh, people started eating more healthy, or at least what they thought was more healthy at the time. Yeah. And a lot of the steak chains went out of business. But Sizzler added a salad bar, and they added fish and chicken, and they stayed alive. So you got to change your model. Just work before whatever worked best before doesn't necessarily work the same today. Well, and there's a couple reasons for that. Part of it is cyclical and tastes change and so forth. But also, there's been a lot of emphasis on apartments. Uh, and certainly, we've seen cap rates compress. A lot of uh, folks go out and bid on these things. Typical uh, multifamily deal comes up today. There might be 20, 30 bidders. And let's face it, if we're all bidding the price up on the same amount of income, that drives the returns down. So even though there's a lot of reasons to like multifamily because of the diversity, because it tends to be a recession-resistant part of the real estate world, uh, because people always need a place to live, especially in that kind of B-class area, we are seeing the returns suffer from that. So this idea of opening up your mind to other real estate, not just a multifamily, um, makes a lot of sense. So you started to get into some commercial properties. Talk about the mindset of going from a guy who's owned single family and multifamily, who your tenants have always been residential, to now, well, we're going to look at different real estate where our tenants are businesses. Well, actually, when I uh, expanded into Texas, I had a, um, a broker that I've done a lot of business with that you and I both know. And at the time, he was uh, also showing and promoting that maybe I should consider some non-multifam in parallel with multifam. Yep. And I remember going by some of these buildings that he showed were, uh, you know, really good numbers. And um, even, I know it's going to shock you, but even this, this engineer can, can have some emotion at times. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember going by some of these commercial buildings with these metal sides with no windows in them. And he's saying, this is, this is a really a great property. And I was like, doesn't look that great. <laughs> and what the heck are they doing inside there anyway? <laughs> so, yeah. But so... The emotion side of me um, actually kind of kept me from getting started uh, sooner than maybe I should have and diversifying my investments and assets. So about five years ago, six years ago, I was a part owner of a $10 million Class A multifam that was a pride of ownership. It was a gorgeous property. Its name was Ascension Point in Arlington. Great, uh, a great market. And uh, we realized that the, it was starting to get overheated. Cap rates were down to six. And at the same time, in the same metro, uh, my broker pointed out that there were non-multifam assets like industrial and office. And we made the decision to sell the multifam at what was now a compressed rate. We sold it for cap rate of six. And we exchanged it into a multi-tenant industrial at a cap rate of eight and a single-tenant office for a cap rate of nine. That was one of those, you know, when your skin's in the game, it's amazing how much uh, more you learn from it and how much more you take away. So that was kind of the, the, the moment that I said, okay, I can see this really works. So that's when we uh, decided to start syndicating. That was um, pretty close to the time you were starting to provide education in that arena. Yep. And I you know, came to that, and that was uh, the timing was perfect. It paralleled our uh, decision to uh, go in that direction. And we started buying non-multifam commercial properties, and it's done very well. 
Now, for, fast forward before, uh, I, don't want, I don't want people to get alarmed by these numbers because before we're done, you're going to realize you can invest in commercial assets for less than $100,000. So don't let the big numbers uh, scare you. But in, in those times since, in those six years, uh, talk about the syndication volume that you guys have done. Well, in the last four years, we've done 23 uh, syndications. And last year, we did uh, $95 million worth of product. And we've taken down, oh, $78 million in the first quarter of this year. So uh, back um, when we started the commercial syndication business, if you'd told me we'd be at this level right now, I'd have told you just like I would have before I started buying houses, you're out of your mind. It, uh, I can't see how that could happen. Yeah. But it's but it's happening. Yeah, that's it's funny. Like, we had a similar conversation at least ten years ago. I remember we sat down and you showed me your portfolio of hundreds of single family houses, and you're like, "Wow, how did I get here? I just bought a couple of houses, and before you knew it, I've got all these assets." Same thing when it comes to syndication, and that's the law of compounding that we see not just in numbers, but in education, in wisdom, in relationships. And if you as you continue to build relationships with investors, there's more demand for. The these types of syndication opportunities and as you continue to form relationships with providers and sellers and brokers then other deals come to light it's as you evolve as an investor so does the world around you and you've certainly promoted the value of having outstanding partners and that's even more important than where you invest what market and what kind of product that you're in and uh, indeed i think uh, partnering with those that have a proven track record who have established credibility, have the integrity, are ones that you've had a long-term relationship with, are those that, uh, and indeed, they, they need to have competence too, as well as character, like uh, Beth Clifford uh, promotes. But if they do, then uh, they get this compounding of comfort level with those that want to partner with you. And that's certainly what's happened. You know, I've been 16 years building up my brand and, and uh, client base. I have some new... Uh, Folks that are getting into the syndication business, and they sometimes ask me, so Tom, how long does it take from the time you meet somebody new to have them actually write a check? And I said, well, well, sometimes, um, you know, pretty quickly because we have built a, a high-quality brand. But I said, uh, one of our top clients uh, I'd known for 25 years before they wrote a check. In yeah. fact, I uh, have another investor recently that I've known for 40 years before he wrote the first check. So. They weren't real happy to hear that answer, but um, and certainly it doesn't always take that long. But I'd, I'd say our typical investor uh, has been following us for five years. So they keep seeing success. They keep seeing uh, consistency and and uh, what we provide in service and education and uh, not being uh, pushy. I'm blessed to not have to be doing this business now. I do it because I'm passionate about it, and everybody says it's pretty clear you're passionate about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um it's great having a team that you um, inspired by and can provide a venue for them to grow, and then to have a client base that you know deep down in your heart you're providing a a real value to them. You're contributing toward their financial independence. Um, you know you're getting some of the best value products in the country, filtering through, vetting them, underwriting them conservatively and making them available to others. And uh, word gets around. 
when you do good things. It's one of my favorite things about real estate syndication is that folks that do have seat knowledge, who have been through, have that experience resume, if you will, can uh, continue to leverage that experience and allow other people to play. You know, syndication is a, is a team sport, if you will. Uh, but before we delve more into syndication, I want to make sure that uh, we're talking about the various real estate products that we would consider commercial. So we talked about multifamily being a commercial asset because of the commerce, and those are commercial loans that you typically get, you know, maybe not for a duplex, but certainly for lots of units. And you guys have just closed on a multi, multi-million dollar multifam. So you're still very up to speed and active in multifamily. So I don't want people to have the wrong impression, but you also have really uh, expanded into the various commercial classes. So commercial can include office, it can include retail, it can include industrial, it can include heavy manufacturing. I mean, there's a variety of types of uh, real estate products. As you look around any town, you see a lot of commercial assets. There are even commercial assets that are government buildings and schools. I mean, there's a whole range of things that are not residential. Even in the residential asset class, people think of apartments and maybe a uh, an eccentric version of that as a downtown loft or high rise, but there are many others. There's, there's student housing, which has its own uniquenesses. There's elder care, which has its own uniquenesses and, uh, and so forth. Uh, so that's one of the subclasses of residential that we're doing a lot of now is uh, at the uh, high quality commercial level of, uh, of elder care. Well, the graying of America and the demographics support that. And I know you have some new construction opportunities when it comes to that type of a real estate opportunity. And we watch for not only as the cap rates change, and you gave a great example of that, uh, but also as demographics change, then the needs we're trying to meet change. Student housing has been on my list and radar for a long time. I started my real estate career uh, as an on-site residential property manager, a block from the college I went to. And uh, you learned a ton about tenant landlord law and just relations in that uh, first uh, job, if you will, in real estate. In fact, I think we can see it out our our corporate headquarters window right now. Pretty much. So uh, (laughs) it's, uh, you know, that that builds up that that experience that you have. Um, But you made that jump and you invested. And I think last time we in the show, we talked specifically about industrial real estate. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about what some of the pros and cons are of the various commercial asset classes. And before we done. We'll give you an opportunity uh, to get Tom's white paper. He is an engineer and he's done a great uh, dissertation here on commercial property. So if you're not taking notes, uh, he'll send you some notes before we're done. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. More when we come back, I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Stop for a moment. Why are you listening to this show? Are you dreaming of a bigger, brighter financial future? More personal freedom to live life on your own terms? What if there was just one skill that could make it happen? There is. Sales. Robert Kiyosaki says every entrepreneur must be good at sales. It's true for investors too. Sales is how you attract money, people, and opportunities. Sales is the skill used to negotiate deals and lead your team. Sales skills are essential to success. The good news is, it's a learnable skill. The great news is, we've created a two-day interactive workshop to teach those skills to you. Make plans today to attend How to Win Funds and Influence People, Mastering the Art of Financial Selling. 
For dates and details, send an email to sales at realestateguysradio.com or visit realestateguysradio.com and look under events. Gain the skills you need to succeed. Email sales at realestateguysradio.com or look under the events tab at realestateguysradio.com. Hey, it's Ken McElroy. I listen to the Real Estate Guys, and so should you. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Heard every weekend on this great radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. We're talking today about commercial property. How can you make the jump or even start out by investing passively or actively in commercial property? Before we get back to our interview with Tom K. Wilson, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia. Give you a chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question. As soon as you hear the question think you know the answer, send a quick email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name, the answer to the question, and your physical mailing address. Because if you're the winner, we're going to send you a copy of Tom Wheelwright's great book, Tax-Free Wealth. He's the Rich Dad Advisor for Taxes and a Certified Public Accountant. This is a great book. You're going to dig it. Before we give you this week's real estate trivia question, last week on the Real Estate Guys, we were talking about resort rehab properties with Josh and Melanie McCallan, and we asked this, the United States is the fourth largest wine-producing country in the world. Which country produces the most wine? Well, the U.S. certainly produces a lot, but the answer is number one, Italy, followed by Spain and France. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. We're talking about commercial properties, and before we're done, we'll talk about development. I want you to name the most expensive building in the United States. The most expensive construction project, the most expensive property in the U.S. If you know or just want to take a guess, send your best guess to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Tom, I know you know the answer, but you're not eligible. Uh, if you think you want to guess, that's okay, too. Just make sure you send us your mailing address so we can send you tax-free wealth by Tom Wheelwright. If you're the first with the right answer, that's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking with my good friend Tom K. Wilson about uh, investing in commercial property. And Tom, uh, you've seen a lot of different market cycles. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you've seen a lot of different. Uh, I'm entering cycle number six. Right? Yeah. You've seen a lot of almost as many as the Godfather. <laughs> almost. You've seen a lot of different property types. Um, so let's talk about maybe some of the pros and cons. Um, last time we had on the show, we talked about industrial. I know you have some experience there. Let's talk about what makes up an industrial property, what the attraction is, and what uh, some of the pros are, and also maybe. Maybe some of the negatives. Okay. So we'll start off with uh, with industrial. In most of the asset classes, uh, some of the things that you look for are rooftop expansion, how what the traffic count is in front of a place, uh, look for path of progress communities, look for uh, markets that these submarkets are in that are large enough to have a breadth of economy lots of different things without even getting to the quality of the product and the age and the conditions and the deferred maintenance and all that sort of thing. Yep. But industrial um, uh, certainly is has more than one kind of operation going in it, but most of them have uh, manufacturing or wa- warehousing distribution in them. Yep. We like all of that. The uh, you know We've heard a lot about the, the demand for the last mile industrial space for uh, internet commerce to be uh, distributed from. But uh, many people may be surprised to learn that manufacturing in the United States is making a little bit of a comeback. Yeah. As we're able to automate more and more, and with uh, with trade considerations, 
there's a, uh, there's a push to get more manufacturing. So some of these blank buildings that you drive by and it looks like uh, just kind of plain Jane and what could be valuable about that, they're doing some pretty um, important uh, manufacturing inside there. So you got to always be careful about not giving a broad brush conclusion, I think, about something that you hear or something that you think about or your perception. So this normally when we think about a multifam or an office building or retail, we're looking for path of progress or high traffic counts and visibility and all that. Well, one of the exceptions of that is a single tenant industrial. Right. Turns out for single tenant industrial, uh, we closed on one a uh, little over a year ago that's uh, called Filtration Group is the company that's inside. So uh, they sold the bu- two buildings, one in South Carolina in the um, Charlotte Metro and one in uh, uh, Missouri area. And people say, well, why? It must be something wrong with it. No, they're in the business of manufacturing filter components for air and water filtration. Okay. I think there's a growing need for that. And I, and by the way, they've been around, uh, they do $800 million a year. They're in uh, 60 locations and they're in 20 countries. And they sold their buildings so that they could take that capital, reinvest in a business that's been very successful for 75 years. And they gave us a 15-year lease. So could they go, could we, could that deal go south? Yeah, they could go bankrupt. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, We even do the kind of due diligence where we hire a Carpet 500 CFO to go do a deep dive on the principles. Yeah. To make sure they don't have some financial problem that could wash over on the business. And those are the kinds of extra due diligence that you should do. But if you're an individual... It's very difficult. It's ex- it's it's expensive. You got to have a relationship, somebody that can respond quickly, and so forth. And we do that, and we often uh, get through all of that, and we say no. Yeah. So uh, that's the part people don't see is the number of things we say no to before we say yes. So at any rate, basically, in a single tenant product, whether it's office or whether it is uh, retail or if it's industrial, you're largely looking at because they all have or should have when you get it a long term lease. You're looking at what is the probability that they might go bankrupt? Because right. these kinds of tenants don't skip overnight. You know, you don't have those kinds of problems. About the only thing that can go bad is if uh, they go bankrupt. Yeah. So if you think the odds of that is very low, then we consider that to be a very, very good good product. So that's uh, that's single tenant and any of those asset classes. And I think you've kind of covered the the good and the bad. The the good is that these are professional tenants. They pay for a long time. They have a history of being in business. The downside is it's just one point failure. And so the more unique the property is, the harder it might be to release. But in reality, many of the industrial properties are fairly generic. And there's a lot of companies that can use the big, wide open space, smaller office component, loading docks, and so on. Mm-hmm. They're very versatile, and the uh, TI or tenant improvement is usually not not very much as it yes. might be in retail or office or, uh, or other things. So I think let's jump to the, the other asset classes. You, been, you mentioned retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kind of a stigma about retail oh, because people are thinking everything's bought online, but that's just not true. No, you know, you, if you listen to the, uh, the headlines, which we all have, Wall Street Journal and everything else, you you would kind of come away with the conclusion that all retail is going to be scraped from the face of the earth in the next five years. And when you present that to someone who's kind of thinking like, oh, I don't know about retail, you say, uh, do you think that's going to happen? And everybody says, well, no, that doesn't really seem likely. And I um, asked them, first of all, 
Yes, everybody needs to live somewhere. So yes, I still like residential. Yeah. But guess why? Why do they live where they live? Oh, uh, I guess it's because of the infrastructure that's non-multifam that's already around it. The that's place, right. they, the place they work, the place that they uh, buy things, the place they go to school, all of those things, and the place that they go get their services. Yep. You know, maybe someday we'll be able to get our hair cut online. But I think it's going to be a while. Probably, <laughs> probably so. Probably after driverless cars or something. You can't drink a beer with your buddy online. That's something you can be sensitive about and yeah. appreciative of. You can't get your dog seen online, You uh, so forth. So, in, in fact, in our marketing, we've kind of eliminated the word retail because it's become a four-letter word, right? Yeah. So we call it uh, you know neighborhood service centers there because that's the key. If it's got a strong service component, I think it's... Um, its competition uh, with internet is is pretty low, so uh, we love service centers, but we also uh, have have bought power centers, and a power centers where you've got some uh, big box uh, retailers, and uh, boy, big boxes makes people shudder, right? Because indeed, some of them aren't going to make it, right? But there are a lot of big box um, retailers that have a uh, strong service component. Maybe it's a Burlington Coat Factory. People still like to try on clothes. They might buy something online, pick it up at the store, and buy something else. Uh, Michael's is one that we've um, done in the past. Most artists like to go touch and feel the stuff. Might buy their acrylics online, but they go into the store for the other things and so forth. So if it has a long... And uh, those two that I just mentioned, we did the research on and found that they were actually expanding their brick-and-mortar stores. So the largest e-commerce company in the world shocked the world last year when they announced they were buying for $13.7 billion 460 brick-and-mortar Whole food stores. Right. And now they're opening up Amazon bookstores again. Yeah. Which, was that their strategy all along? <laughs> oh, well, we won't go there. Okay. So, <laughs> so, um, so again, I think have to be very careful about having um, kind of broad brush conclusions about things that the headlines put out that are uh, that are dramatic. And like in any any asset class within real estate, there's good, there's bad, there's ugly. So that's part of sifting through mm-hmm. and thinking about what does make sense, especially in a changing landscape. The other one is office. So every day people get up and they go to work in an office environment. Now there's more telecommuting, there's more individual entrepreneurs. But uh, talk about office and kind of what the pros and cons are there. Within office, it's sometimes kind of a bridge between that and maybe industrial, but you know there's R light R and D facilities. Um, there's um, uh, sometimes uh, office has a, maybe a retail component, but I, I do not believe that everybody is going to be working from home. There's right. still the need for the human interaction. Maybe we'll have uh, you know we're seeing the expanding WeWork centers and so forth. So there's still uh, both single and multi-tenant office which is going to be, um, I think, continue to be in, in demand. Uh, like all asset classes and all products, we always make sure, even though we have a lot of experience in general and we feel that certainly helps us to make better decisions, if any component of a deal we're considering is an area we don't have expertise in, we make sure we bring on somebody on board that has it. Maybe it's in a submarket that we aren't familiar with. That person may let you know that historically – this side of the street has had more occupancy than this side of the street in the last uh, um, in the last recession, and to the new observer walking in, they'd never know that. Yeah. So you need that level of uh, detail. So you really need to partner with somebody that has uh, access to a lot of expertise 
and you need to partner with uh, someone who has access to a lot of deals. Well, especially if you buy into this idea of diversifying across markets and product types. A single investor can only have so many markets and so many product types they know well. And even though you've expanded that quite a bit, it's taken you five decades to do that. And you continue to bring in great teams when you did the first senior care center. That was an area where you had to bring in expertise and brought in partners that know that space well. It's amazing how many you might need to bring in that people don't think about. We needed a a land person that understood that, someone that knew how to do entitlement. We had an architect that had experience in uh, in elder care, assisted living. We had a developer who had done several of them. We brought in a um, operations person who was already operating multiple uh, assisted care facilities and a specialized lender who gets loans on those. So it's beyond the scope of and even awareness, I think, of the average investor. Certainly it was for me before as to how many areas of expertise. Now, you could try to learn some of those on your own, but I'd say from my experience, that's not a good, that's not a good plan. So I like, uh, I'd always rather take a smaller piece of the pie or partner with someone who's willing to do that and have more experts on my team because in the end, the most important thing I think is preservation of wealth and to minimize the risk for not only us as the sponsors, but especially that of our, of our uh, investors because I really take a a huge feeling of responsibility when I'm managing other people's money. Well, that's a good point. Maybe a good transition is another way to partner for folks is to come alongside someone who puts these deals together. And uh, I know that while you have certainly invested in your own account for many, many years, uh, today most of what you do is real estate syndication, which just means you go out, you find a great deal, you put together the team, you make sure the market is strong, the demographics are strong, and then you raise capital to fund the deal. And when you're syndicating, business, uh, you've got folks that are interested in asset classes, but too busy to be bothered with the details. And you have folks that are just trying to build up that experience resume. In the types of uh, opportunities that you have, what is the kind of the range of investment and um, the types of investments that you do? Talk about that part of it. So private share. So this is no different than a public share of Google or Apple, but it's a uh, it's a private share that typically under, uh, and by the way, it's regulated by the SEC, which is way more ominous and stringent than IRS or real estate boards. True. Very, very serious stuff. And we take it very seriously. And we have a legal team that uh, advises us. Uh, our legal team uh, does a half a billion dollars worth of uh, syndications a year. Yeah. We've been doing it for 25 years. So we like that. So most of uh, our shares are sold for 50000 and under 506B of of the regulations, you're only allowed to offer that to people that you have a relationship with. Well, we uh, so that means that you have to, whomever you want to consider investing with, you want to make sure that you connect up with them, make sure you're part of their client base because they are not allowed most of the time to make that offer to you unless you've got that relationship. And all you need to do is sign up. And by the time you write a check, you will have had some conversations with them and the uh, SEC doesn't define how many that is, but the kind of the industry standard is that you ought to have three contacts before uh, before you take somebody's money. And we at times have not taken somebody's money because we felt like maybe they're putting too much of their money into uh, into one thing. So I'd rather always rather err on that side. So anyway, so for typically fifty thousand a share, and we've had people when we write checks for fifty thousand for fifteen of our deals. Yep. And we've had others that have only invested in two or three and they've written uh, multi million dollar checks. Yep. So it's a it's a whole gamut. And we 
we find their investors love having that diversity of markets, diversity of asset classes. They like to partner with someone who's uh, literally sifting through thousands of deals a year and uh, down through that funnel of vetting and underwriting and, and uh, testing that you uh, pull out a, a few, uh, few gold nuggets, which are the best ones. So they get to have a diversity of investments uh, right on the coattails of the uh, expertise of uh, others who have a track record and have the team of experts to find them. And so right now, the um, industrial retail office, on the average, is getting about 2% higher returns on cash on cash. Uh, most of the deals that we offer uh, that are stabilized or near stabilized, uh, we offer generally an 8% preferred return, which is pretty darn good in this marketplace. And, yep. then, uh, and then returns that are you know, in the teens for, uh, for once, you, uh, once you exit. So that's, um, that's a kind of thing you, uh, you can get if you have a team that is able to sift through um, thousands of deals to find the gold nuggets. Well, and it's leverage. You know, we think of financial leverage. I put some money down and the bank gives me the rest and that leverage magnifies my return. This is just leveraging somebody else's expertise, relationships, and track record. It's a great way to learn the same time you can invest and make a return. But also if you're interested in different asset classes, this is a way to get exposure to multiple asset classes. You know, I started out very hands-on in real estate and the longer I'm in real estate, the the more I'm actually happy to hand the ball to somebody with experience to do the work because it's a lot of work, uh, but you can't learn from it. It's I, I know you have folks that are just passive uh, investors. A lot of people in Silicon Valley just have extra money. That's one thing. But if you are interested in commercial, uh, a great uh, college education, if you will, is to put some of your own money in a deal and then watch the deal, learn the market, see what's happening with the product type. And, and a big part of what your team does, of course, is to communicate ongoing. So maybe just spend a minute on that. If someone gets involved and decides to invest, how often do they hear from you? Uh, what kind of uh, reports do they get? Those kinds of things. Of course, they hear from us anytime that they reach out. We uh, we we reach out ourselves periodically, kind of uh, randomly, just to make sure they don't have a, a question that's not being answered. But they formally get a quarterly report along with their distribution check. It's not just a P&L sheet. It's got a narrative on what's going on in the market in that area. How's the product doing? If it's a capital uh, improvement project that's uh, part of what's adding value to it, they get uh, progress reports, sometimes pictures on what the, what's going on with that, that kind of product. I just think communication is just a not only responsibility, but I think it's something that people uh, deserve and it uh, makes them feel a lot more comfortable. People will always, I think most people would rather hear details about bad news and what you're doing about it than to not hear anything at all. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's a good For, point. Unfortunately, we haven't had to give out much bad news. It's, uh, we're doing, doing very well. Now, what we asked Tom to do was to uh, put together a white paper on uh, some things we've talked about today and some others as well. Talk about what, uh, what's in the white paper, Tom. What's in the white paper is how you can go about, if you want to do it yourself, or what you should look for and someone that you want to partner to about what are the pros and cons in more detail than what we've had time to discuss here today about the different asset classes? Uh, what makes a good one? What makes a bad one? What are the different kinds of markets to look for? What, uh, what makes a good market? Why you, uh, the, the value of diversity? We show in there the timing cycles, which is really, really fascinating to see. Yeah. So you can take each market or you can take each asset class and you can look at that. And there's fortunately, you know, if you if you've got someone who's uh, large enough to subscribe to some of these big marketing uh, entities, such as uh, CoStar, 
yep. you can get some uh, phenomenal reports and data that show where on the circle and cycle of expansion, contraction, and so forth are different asset classes for, and remember, if you've got an asset class that's a um, retail, there's A, B, C, so it even breaks down more than that, and they break that down, and it will show you how each of those subclasses are performing and where on the cycle they are. And we study that sort of thing all the time because that has a big impact on where we look and where we focus on what products that we get. So we're always looking for moving money from uh, those asset classes, markets, so forth, that are uh, reach their peak and move it to others that are going to perform uh, for a while. So uh, that's in there. Explains about syndications, that uh, explains about how all those uh, kinds of syndication numbers work. And it um, just goes through a little bit of a nuts and bolts of uh, all the different asset classes that we think it's worth people considering that will strengthen their resiliency to whatever uh, happens with this economy. All right, good stuff. If you'd like to get a copy of that, all you have to do is send an email to CRE, Commercial Real Estate, CRE at realestateguysradio.com. You get the white paper plus Tom's contact information so you can reach out to his firm if you're interested in passively investing in commercial real estate. That's CRE at realestateguysradio.com. You'll also get information about Tom's great podcast, which airs every week as well. Tom, it's always great to get together. Thanks for being on the program again. Thank you, Robert. It's always a pleasure. I always learn uh, from you every time I meet with you. You're a great connector and I uh, get to continue to have the the great benefit of uh, learning something new every day in my business and that's part of what keeps me going. Let's keep it up. There's Tom K. Wilson. More when we come back. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Memphis is famous for being the home of the king of rock and roll, but it's also the king of cash flow. If you're looking for affordable cash flow properties, it's hard to beat Memphis. Get your portfolio rocking and more cash flowing your way by calling Terry Kerr at Mid-South Home Buyers. Terry's the king of turnkey properties. Contact Terry through the resource section at realestateguysradio.com. And be sure to order Terry's tips for turnkey rental property investing report. It's free. Just send your request to turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. If you want to learn how you could potentially increase your net worth by over a million dollars and quit your job in just a few short years, listen closely for the next 60 seconds. This is Brad Sumrock, and over the past 16 years, I've helped thousands of people invest profitably in real estate, but not just any type of real estate. I specialize in helping people syndicate large apartment buildings so that they can be business owners and investors. In today's competitive environment, it's even more important than ever to leverage an experienced mentor, invest in your education, and have a team of advisors that has established relationships nationwide. And so many people right now seem to be struggling to find deals and then get them funded, but yet Sumrock students are thriving in today's marketplace. We've purchased nearly 7,000 units and nearly one half billion in purchase volume over the past 12 months. And with the new Trump tax laws, apartment investors are positioned now better than ever before to pay even less in taxes. To find out more, send an email to apartmentsnow at realestateguysradio.com and you'll get my recent presentation called Why Apartments Now? That's apartmentsnow at realestateguysradio.com. 
Hi, this is Mauricio Raul, the founder and CEO of Premier Law Group, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program, heard every weekend on this great radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com, and awesome to get around. Tom K. Wilson, known Tom a long, long time, and I actually got to watch his career blossom as a real estate investor and a guy that helps other real estate investors, starting out in the single family, then multifamily, and now commercial space. So super happy to have Tom share his wisdom. If you're interested in his white paper that talks all about commercial property, you can send an email to CRE, that's Commercial Real Estate, CRE at realestateguysradio.com. And, you know, we talked about it, but I think one of the big distinctions for Tom in his career is when he started down the path of real estate syndication. So many people invest in their own account, which we highly recommend. But at some point, you run out of your own purchasing power, you run out of your own dollars. And if you haven't run out of enthusiasm or passion or expertise, then perhaps syndication is for you. That's the idea of aggregating capital from multiple sources to go do bigger deals. It's astonishing to watch Tom go from single-family houses up to tens of millions of dollars in transactions, and it really is just an evolution as an investor. So if you've thought about going full-time into real estate or thought, man, I could do more if I had more money, then come on out to the Secrets of Successful Syndication. That's where Tom got his initial education in the space. It happens twice a year. The next time is coming up in September in Dallas, Texas. We'll spend two full days getting immersed into everything that syndication encompasses, including the securities laws that Tom referenced, how to find great deals, how to put together good partnerships, where to find the capital stack, all the money required. And you're going to have a chance to network with some amazing folks. This event always surpasses our expectations in terms of the quality people that show up. So head on over to the website at realestateguysradio.com under events. You'll see the secrets of successful syndication. We'd love to meet you there. You'll also see a whole bunch of other events, some that the Real Estate Guys produce and some that other folks do that we're privileged to speak at. If you're listening to the podcast, we'd love to have you come on out to a live event. A big thanks to Tom K. Wilson for his incredible knowledge today. Next week on the program, it's part one of two parts recorded live on this year's Investor Summit at Sea. You'll hear from Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart. You'll hear from Kaya Wilson. You'll hear from G. Edward Griffin. You'll hear from Robert Kiyosaki and a whole lot more starting next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by... Paradigm Life, powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys radio show.